This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As promised on last week's show, we'll be talking in our second segment today with author David Talbot about his interesting book, Devil Dog, the amazing true story of the man who saved America. This is the tale of Brigadier General Smedley D. Butler, whose anti-war classic, War is a Racket, should be known to you, dear listener. Marine General Butler is a hero of both the right the left, and the center. He was twice awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor and had some interesting things to say about his experiences in the military, including, there isn't a trick in the racketeering bag that the military gang is blind to. It has its finger men to point out enemies, its muscle men to destroy enemies, its brain men to plan war preparations, and a big boss, supranationalistic capitalism. He's the most interesting topic, and we will be talking about him in our second segment today. But let's begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 30th of June. It was on this date 103 years ago today, June 30th, 1908, that the Tagungsta River in central Siberia witnessed a giant fireball with a trail that stretched 800 kilometers behind it in the daylight sky. The still somewhat mysterious object impacted the Earth's atmosphere with 2,000 times the force of the atomic bomb that leveled Hiroshima. Its effects would be noted around the globe. When Russia's chief meteorologist gained access to the remote site years later, he found trees felled in a radial pattern by the air blast. Trees were felled over an area of more than 1,500 square kilometers. We know that some bit of extraterrestrial matter blew up in the Earth's atmosphere, but pieces of it to this day have never been located. On June 30th in 1936, the 40-hour work week became federal law here in the United States. On this date in 1971, the Soviet space program was dealt a blow when three dead cosmonauts were found within the capsule of Soyuz 11 upon its return to Earth. Apparently at about 80,000 feet, the capsule had sustained a loss of pressure and the men were not wearing their helmets. Our quote today comes from a Sacramento Bee article by Sam Stanton about uh, an attack that took place following the GPS removal from a parolee. Apparently last week, as part of the state's effort to save money on its corrections agency, agents removed a GPS tracking device from 20-year-old gang member Poopy Jackio. According to the article, he then allegedly made his way to an address in Rancho Cordova where authorities say he took part in a burglary and home invasion, then turned into a gun battle with the homeowner. By the time it was over, said the article, Jackio's alleged partner was shot in the head, the homeowner was wounded in the hip, and Jackio had been shot in the leg. And here's where the quote of the day comes in. Noted the article, Obviously, this was not the result the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation had hoped for as it begins implementing cost-cutting measures. We at Radio Parallax would have to agree that gun battles are probably not what they have in mind. And our quip of the day comes from uh, another Sacramento Bee article. This is a reprint from a Dallas Morning News piece, which said, Coffee comes from beans, and thus, 
has some health benefits. Well, we, we have to dispute that one because, after all, ricin comes from beans. Castor beans, in this case, and it is a deadly toxin. And, uh, by the way, those of you at the Dallas Morning News, coffee beans are not really beans. They're fruit pits. Our jokes of the day come, first of all, from Conan O'Brien, who noted a few days ago, Newt Gingrich says he does not support gay marriage. He says marriage is a sacred sacrament that should only be between a man and his first, second, or third wives. (laughs) To which David Letterman added, New York Governor Cuomo legalized gay marriage. I think that's great for everybody, especially divorce lawyers. Our stat of the day, about which we'll have uh, more to say later, is the fact that the war in Afghanistan is now nine years, eight months, and 23 days old. Which makes it more than 1.3 years longer than our previous record holder, the Vietnam War, at 8.4 years. By the way, the Iraq War is now 8.3 years and change old, meaning that it will pass up Vietnam for second place sometime in August. Our Nobel Peace Prize winning president is now proposing that we get out of Afghanistan perhaps as late as, well, the end of 2014, maybe longer. As I say, we'll have more to say about that in a bit. But doggone it, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for just following orders with the news that a Washington state woman drove her SUV down a boat ramp and into a lake because her GPS told her to. (laughs) Noted The Week magazine, the woman and two passengers were able to swim to shore. Ladies and gentlemen, as a public service announcement, please... Verify the reality you see through your windshield and compare it to what your GPS tells you to do. And it was, on the other hand, a bad week for the Statue of Liberty. A couple weeks back when it was revealed that the U.S. Postal Service had to admit that the special stamp commemorating the 125th anniversary of the statue drew its image not from the real thing, but from the 14-year-old replica statue at the New York, New York Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada. Apparently, after a stamp collector alerted the USPS to the air, its spokesman, Ray Betts, insisted, we still love the stamp design and would have selected this photograph anyway. boy, Mr. Betts. Stick to your guns. And finally, it was an ugly week for common sense. Last week, after the Portland, Oregon Water Bureau reportedly drained a reservoir of 7.8 million gallons of drinking water after 21-year-old Joshua Cedar urinated into it. Cedar admitted, I had a pleasant buzz, and uh, I should have known better. Well, maybe, Mr. Cedar, but who should have known better were, were the water authorities. A pint, or for that matter, quart of urine, does not render 8 million gallons of drinking water undrinkable, toxic, polluted. Choose your adjective. 
We would especially like to point this out to our listeners in Southern California because Radio Parallax has it on excellent authority that the California Water Project is often urinated into. How we know this, we're not saying. But you can trust us on this one. All right, this follow-up from some stories we've talked about in the past. The Earth dodged a bullet again. And that yesterday, asteroid 2011MD passed over the Earth but did not strike the atmosphere. It passed 7,600 miles away, which puts it well within the range of our geosynchronous satellites, which orbit uh, about 22,000 miles out. By the way, we got buzzed earlier this year by another asteroid that missed us by 3,400 miles. Shades of Tunguska, if either one of these had hit the Earth's atmosphere, we might have had another event similar to what happened back in 1908. Personally, I'm glad that they're looking. <laughs> they only found this one about a week ago. Someone got the bright idea a few years back that it would eh, be good to catalog what's out there. Feeling is at this point we have a pretty good handle on uh, the large objects, but the, the smaller ones, like this latest one, which is apparently something like 16 by 60 feet, could still be uh, trouble plenty, but it depends, of course, on how the, uh, the geometry of the two bodies interact. In this case, the Earth kind of overtook, in essence, this last asteroid, so the closing speed would have been a lot less. But uh, for more information, we refer you to spaceweather.com. We're also indebted to Joseph, who sent us numerous uh, websites, mostly related to NASA JPL, which um, showed the geometry of this interaction with with some breathtaking detail. You may want to check those out on the web. But space collisions are serious business, and not just for potential uh, Tunguska blasts. The International Space Station is a bit of a, a sitting duck for debris, which is whirling around in low Earth orbit. On Tuesday, the six-member crew of the International Space Station took shelter in what are described as their Soyuz lifeboats. This came in the wake of uh, observers on Earth tracking some debris, which they thought was getting uncomfortably close to the space station. It's noted that uh, an object the size of a dime would probably blow right through the walls and create a uh, severe hazard. I mean, even a, a uh, even a chip of paint coming off an object in space when it's going five miles per second packs quite a punch. In this case, the debris missed the space station by 820 feet. And reports in the media so far aren't saying how big they thought this thing was. But uh, if you can see it from Earth, it wasn't a paint chip. And as follow-up on our sunspot story, which you can also uh, do a pretty good job of following with spaceweather.com, it now appears that three studies conducted at the National Solar Observatory indicate that uh, our sun's magnetic field is fluctuating and might become too weak to produce sunspots for a while. As we mentioned in the program last week, between 1648 and 1710, uh, sunspots virtually disappeared from the surface of our local star. This led to a, a frigid period known as the Little Ice Age. And of course, uh, with global warming going on, this would be a great time to have another Little Ice Age in terms of solar energy, but the debate seems to go on as to how much of an effect this could, uh, could be in terms of mitigating global warming. We'll continue to follow this story. All right, in the few minutes we have left in this segment, let's return to this topic of uh, our withdrawal from Afghanistan, shall we? We would refer you to Harper's Magazine's May edition for the report by Jonathan Stevenson titled, Owned by the Army, 
as the president lost control of his generals. The article starts out by noting how last August, David Petraeus was basically going on a public relations offensive, discussing last year how the Obama administration's planned July 2011 drawdown on troops of Afghanistan, well, just maybe pushing things a bit. The New York Times described these appearances as a campaign to convince an increasingly skeptical public that the American-led coalition can still succeed. And when someone asked the White House spokesman Bill Burton if the remarks being made uh, were in keeping with uh, the position of the White House, Burton assured the reporter that um, when it comes to the conduct of the war, there's no daylight between the president and his commanders. Stevenson said that the absence of so much as a raised eyebrow among journalists showed how much the boundary between strategic policy, which is supposed to be the realm of the civilian commander-in-chief and his advisors, versus the armed forces, had already eroded. When Petraeus was talking, he made no mention of the July 2011 uh, drawdown, but spoke only of 2014, which is the target date set by NATO for transferring security responsibilities to Afghan forces. I think we could do a whole hour show on the uh, the hapless nature of Afghan forces. But Jonathan Stevenson uh, rose, raised the question of whether we've lost the ability to recognize when our generals are overstepping their constitutional powers. I mean, how about that Rolling Stone article revealing that General William Caldwell IV had directed a psychological operations team charged with using propaganda to manipulate enemy hearts and minds to instead focus its talents on persuading visiting senators and congressmen to continue funding the war. That's right, folks. PSYOPs being used on our senators and congressmen. I mean, this correspondent has to wonder if it's working to talk about ending the war or turning, <laughs> turning over the security to Afghan forces at the end of 2014. Well, let's just do some math. If our war in Afghanistan is nine years, eight months, and 23 days old, one has to wonder why we would need an additional three years and six months to bring it to a close. The U.S. involvement in World War II, from the bombing at Pearl Harbor to the surrender of Nazi forces, was three years, five months. That meant the U.S. had three years and five months to get into the war, train troops, build ships, build planes, invade North Africa, invade Italy, invade France, and drive into the heart of Germany to bring the war to a close in three years and five months. Even though the war in Afghanistan is now America's longest-running war at almost nine years and nine months, they want to add an additional three years and six months for, well, no, not to build more battleships and planes, and invade this and invade that, but no, just to secure the countryside in Afghanistan. Or even less than that, secure the countryside to the point where Afghan forces could take over. Am I the only person that this strikes as insane? Of course, when we talk about something that costs a couple billion dollars every week, we're not talking about insanity. We're really more talking about, I'd say, avarice, greed, cupidity, and, of course, a few days ago, we have the Joint Chiefs of Staff going on a public relations offensive, quoted uh, by Nancy Yousef's article. Apparently, Admiral Mike Mullen went before Congress uh, 
last week and said that President Obama's proposal to draw down 33,000 troops, which I guess is about the same number we put in the surge, remember that? Drawing down that 33,000 from Afghanistan was riskier and more aggressive than he proposed. Now, as I recall, we elected a president in November of 2008 to bring this thing to a close. Instead, we've got an admiral going before Congress saying, I don't know if I recommend this. Maybe someone needs to call up the Nobel Prize uh, committee in, in Oslo, see if they want to give that, uh, <laughs> that Peace Prize award uh, a rethink. Because, yes, our Nobel Prize laureate president is thinking about spending three years and six months more, based on the advice he's getting from the Pentagon, to turn things over to local forces. We'll be talking more about this, but let's take a break. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. When we come back, we're going to speak with David Talbot about his fascinating book about General Smedley Butler, a name which might not be familiar to you, but should be. Don't go away. 